Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sex for Smart People. Today, Dave and I are joined by Taylor Mack, who is a beautiful human in every way, but also a hugely internationally acclaimed theater artist, a playwright, actor, singer-songwriter, cabaret performer, performance artist, many other things, who has long been one of my heroes. And Taylor is currently performing in the public theaters, The Good Person of Szechuan. And so first, we will interview Taylor, then we'll collectively address some of your questions, and then we will do the segment that we call Quickies, which is made up of our rants and endorsements, and then we will get a tour update from Bana 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 Bo. And so please call us, write to us, let us know your thoughts, your objections, send us questions that you'd like us to address. We now have a feature on our website which allows you to write to us anonymously if you would like. And all of our contact info is up on our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. And we're so thrilled that you are in this conversation with us. Our love is what we make of it. 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 Sex for Smart People. That means you. Oh, hi. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave. My preferred pronoun is he. I'm Stephanie. I use she or they. I'm Taylor. I use Judy. Yay! (laughs) Taylor, Judy, hi. Thank you so much for joining us. We're super, super, super excited to have you today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, So, as always, the first question we'd like to ask is, what is your relationship to relationships? Um, my relationship to relationships, uh, well, it's a combination of both very transient, um, as a theater artist, I'm always meeting lots of new people and touring and meeting lots of new people and then they disappear from your life and then you, um, get in another play with them or you go back to that city or town and you see them and everyone acts like uh, you're great friends which you are in some ways <laughs> but um, also not at the same time so there's this very transient part of of my life and then there's um, a very steady part of my life which uh, is that I've been in a relationship basically for 16 years with my lover um, solidly for eight and uh um, on and off for the eight before that. Mm -hmm. And I have friends in my life that, um, I've been close to since I was 10 that are still uh, a regular part of my life, um, every, almost every day. So, so, um, so I, so I have this, this kind of back and forth where, um, I have a kind of core group of relationships and, uh, and then I have hundreds (laughs) of other relationships and it's a, a, a juggling mm-hmm. is how I, my relationship with relationships. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dave, you mentioned that part from Taylor's manifesto that you wanted to bring up. Oh yeah. There's a part of your manifesto, of your, of your manifesto that you delivered. Uh, I don't, I don't remember where you delivered it, where you said, um, I believe that love as a verb is the truth and love as a noun is a lie. Yeah. Um, I just think that we're, uh, we fall in love with nouns a little bit too much um, in in our in our lives, and we obsess about nouns. And if we would just um, obsess about verbs a little bit more, um, doing things, um, uh, then the rest of it gets taken care of. Uh, we don't have so many problems in our lives, you know. If you if you think about doing things, so if you treat love as something that is an action to do. Um, 
then you don't worry about, then then it's actually uh in the spirit of um of the verb mm-hmm. uh and it, it's more healing i think and just uh, you know, it allows you to be a little bit more present in the world but if you treat it like a noun as something that you have and that you get to hold on to um then it can be uh very complicated <laughs> complicating <laughs> and complicated you know that seems to align with something that uh, we, I think is, is sort of ending up being one of our central pillars here, which is intentionality. It sounds like, it sounds to me like what you mean is, um, or there's a part of it that's saying don't become complacent in your relationships. Is that part of it? Um, well, I guess so. I mean, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't really frame it like that. I, I guess I would just say, because get complacent, get complacent in your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's one of the great joys of being in a relationship is you get to just have that trust with somebody that if you neglect them for a day, uh <laughs> they're still gonna be there the next day, you know. <laughs> so that's one of the joys of it, I think. But um in terms of just what what are you loving? Are you um are you are you loving the possession or are you loving the action? Mm-hmm. And that's um and and if it's the possession, then it's it's probably not real love, in my estimation. Other people might have a different definition. Yeah. Are there specific ways that love as a verb has manifested for you that you feel comfortable talking about? Sure. Um, so I can... Uh, one example is I never make the bed. Never make the bed, right? <laughs> My lover always makes the bed. He always wants to come home to the bed being made. So if he's away and I'm at home, uh, I won't make the bed. But when I know that he's coming, I will make the bed. Um, and I won't do it to his uh, <laughs> OCD specifications. <laughs> you know, I will do it, you know, the way that I make the bed. And, but and then he will come home and he will immediately make the bed again. <laughs> but uh, after I've made it, so part of me always has felt like, oh, well, I just won't make the bed. He's going to do it anyway. He's going to tell me that you know what I am is wrong or how I do it is wrong, and he's going to correct it. So why even do it? But but I. I know it gives him pleasure to come home and see that I thought of him and that I made the bed. And, and so that's one way that it's like, it, I'm loving by doing something for him, regardless of the, um, perfection, uh, elements, you know, regardless of the skill that I have, uh, it's, it's about the doing is, is the loving as opposed to if I, um, uh, just, I don't know. <laughs> Just talked all the time about how I love him. You know, <laughs> you know? I guess that's the difference for me. <laughs> so it's uh-huh. it's it's stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I would love uh, to talk a little bit about your work, Taylor. You have long been one of my heroes, and your Word. your work consistently blows me away in its heart, in its inventiveness, and um, I. So would love. There's an interview that you did around the Lily's Revenge that I'm going to horribly misquote. That I'm hoping you can correct me and then take it from there. You were saying something like, "Why is it that all the weddings get 
cake and flowers and we think of threesomes ending in like dark dingy sadness and why oh, don't the yeah. threesomes get cake and flowers as well <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure I'm horribly misquoting you but yeah. I would love would you be okay to talk a little bit about Lily and where that came from and uh, oh, if you can sure. correct me on how I'm quoting you uh, I can't actually remember that quote but I know it's about cake and cock you know um, <laughs> and and that I would I would cater waiter at all these um, when when I first got to the city I had five million different survival jobs like most people and I um, uh, I one of them was to cater waiter and I probably worked at I don't know a hundred different weddings in my time and um, and they were all so uh, uh, so formulaic <laughs> And so uninteresting and so unsexy and so so everyone's celebrating everyone thinking it's a special day without understanding from an overworked cater waiter's perspective that um, <laughs> every day is a special day for somebody <laughs> you know and they all do the same thing there's all the tropes and, and so it, it becomes very monotonous and um, and then I would go to these um, but but the one thing that they all have in common is lightness and prettiness and flowers and, you know, um, uh, uh, pastel dresses and, you know, like just light and beauty and fun and, um, and people putting on the, the, the mask of fun. And, and so at, when I was done with the cater waiter parties, I would go to the gay bars, and most of them were uh, really sex clubs in disguise as gay bars. You know, there'd be a back room or something, so I, occasionally I'd go into the back room and join the orgies and stuff. And it was always dark and grungy, and there was, you know, you couldn't see anything, and it was just... And that was kind of fun ever so often, And uh, um, but in its way, it was also its own mask of, um, mm. now we're putting on the dirty, sexy mask. You know, um, <laughs> as opposed to the other mask at the wedding, which was like, we're putting on the mask of fun, you know, of love and light. And I thought, well, why can't we mix this up? Why can't the weddings, why can't the weddings be in the back room? And why can't the, um, why can't the back room look like the set of laughing, you know? So, uh, it was, um, that's kind of my fantasy. <laughs> so when I created The Lily's Revenge, I said, I'm going to create a giant orgy uh, theater piece, which looks like the set of Laugh-In. And, everyone's, you know, everyone's going to be dressed up like flowers and going to have a big orgy. <laughs> so, and we didn't do it literally on stage, but, you know, we, we uh, had our orgy and metaphorically. It really it was, was one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, <laughs> and so robust with joy and celebration. And uh, I, um, can you talk a little bit about how your relationship to relationships informs your work, if it does? Oh, oh, I want to quote you again before you answer that, which is uh, you, that in one of your shows, I think it was the ladies of the young ladies, the young ladies of, of yeah. um, that you said, um, "I do theater to remind people of their shared humanity." Oh, yeah. Well, um, the the thing that I, I really feel is that my job isn't to teach anybody anything. Like, I, I figure most people know everything I'm a, I, 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 I say on stage. Um, so I'm, and most, and a lot of the audiences are smarter than I am. So it's not about trying to teach anybody anything, but I do try to remind people of the things that they've forgotten, dismissed, or buried or that other people have buried for them. So um, that's kind of 
how I, I feel like my, that's what my job is. And, and a, a lot of the things that we've dismissed, forgotten or buried are, um, are aspects of ourselves that, uh, we don't get a lot of practice using or, uh, experimenting in. Um, so that's what I'm always trying to do and how that relates to what was your question, Stephanie, about relationships? Oh, if and how your relationship to relationships, uh, informs the work that you do, which I think there's some of that in the, the reminding people of their humanity. Thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess when you're a transient lover um, of people and you tour a lot and you meet a lot, I mean, I meet thousands of people a year. Um, and so, so when you meet that, those many people and you have profound um, exchanges with them, uh, and, and you, sh and as a theater artist, you're, I share a lot of my, my, kind of personal stuff on stage so that I can, um, in hopes that it, the audience relates to it in some way, uh, and that they can, it opens something up in them. So people feel really, uh, connected as a result. Like I've like, you know, you, it's the kind of stuff you don't tell, you only tell your best friends, you know? <laughs> so here I am telling an audience of 300 people, strangers. So, um, they feel more connected to me. And as a result, they tend to like open up and share things with me as well. And so when you have that, um, that as kind of a, a, a personal practice in your life where you're sharing intimate uh, details, um, with <laughs> an audience and they're, and they're responding and they're basically strangers. I guess your, your relationship to relationships changes, um, and becomes, a, a, and you start to see, uh, people, uh, the, the, whoosh, you see the depth of people, um, uh, through this, uh, through the, um, superficial, uh, circumstance, I guess. So, um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm always kind of looking at where am I in the person that is sitting in the third row, um, and, um, trying to figure that out. Uh, and, and so when I create work, um, I used to create work so that I would be the strangest person in the room and everyone, and if I could get everyone to relate to the strangest person in the room, then I, I felt like I had succeeded. But, um, but now I kind of decide, well, what I'm going to do is create a, a, the entire audience is going to be full of the strangest people in the room. But, you know, it's going to be, uh, I mean, the, the entire uh, ensemble. Mm -hmm. So the, I'll have 36 people up on the stage and they'll be the strangest people in the room. And the audience is invited to participate in that community. Um, so I've kind of flipped it. Uh, so I, I guess I try to um, make work where the... Uh, where the flower girl number three is um, gets to shine and be seen for for the range of who she is as a as a person and as a character and as a performer. Um, I guess that kind of answers your question. I don't know. Totally, it's a, a long you. way, <laughs> long way of answering it. <laughs> there, um, there is um, uh, an element of gender performance in a lot of the work you do. Uh huh. And um, in our little pre-interview interview, <laughs> when I talked about this, um, uh, y you said that um, that you don't like to be called a drag artist or a drag queen. Oh no, 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 no! I do. I, I, 
I do like to be called a drag queen, and I, I feel honored by it. I just think that a lot of people don't understand what that means. What does that mean? Yeah, that it's... that. Um, it's funny, somebody just asked, they wanted to write an article about um, the present drag aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's like saying what the present theater aesthetic is. Like, what, what is that? That's, it's varied. Mm -hmm. it's, there's so many different people working in drag, and they all have their own different aesthetics. So there's not like a, a particular movement that's happening where everyone looks exactly the same. And is coming from it, from the same perspective. Now you might say, oh, this, there's a... There's a drag aesthetic right now where people aren't wearing fake breasts. You know, that could be a particular trend where they're exposing their hairy chests or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you could say that, but that doesn't mean that everyone that is using that aesthetic is coming from the same perspective. So, um, so I just think people, when they think of drag, they, they tend to narrow it down into... Um, like most art forms, into a commodity mm -hmm. or um, or one thing that they can understand as opposed to seeing it for the expansiveness that it is. And so my work is uh, is always about heterogeneity. Um, I mean, really, people, you know, artists always talk about how they everyone picks one theme for their career and it seems like that's my that's my theme for my career and the heterogeneity meaning you know what is the full range of, of us as as people and as a society and a culture and what is the full range of our politics what is what what is what is the melting pot that we were actually trying to exist in or saying that we're existing in even though it's not so um it's all about heterogeneity for me, and the drag becomes a byproduct of that. Um, because in order to express the full range of who I am, then I need to both be masculine and feminine, um, and all the various genders that that, that implies. So um, that's where it's coming from for me. It just it 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 becomes um, it becomes this third gender or twentieth gender mm -hmm. as a result of. Um, of wanting to talk about heterogeneity um, and homogeneity, so that's. But that you can't say that for every uh, drag artist out there. <laughs> you know, I would say you probably can't say that about any other drag artist out there. So it's um, it's just what is your goal? Uh, is it's the content dictates the form. So what is your content, and how how does the form then reflect that content? You know? um, so someone like RuPaul has a very different conversation that Rue is having a very different conversation than what I'm having on the stage. Now, heterogeneity may be a byproduct of Rue's uh, conversation, mm -hmm. but that's not, but that's not Rue's goal is to um, in, inspire a conversation about heterogeneity. Mm -hmm. I would guess. I don't know. I haven't sat down with Rue and asked, but uh, anything else that's just burning inside to say before we move on to answering some questions? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm good. <laughs> Let's right. get to the questions. Yay. Taylor, you're wonderful. Let's get to the questions. American question time. Um, one of the questions we received at our sexy premiere lunch party is define queer. Mm -hmm. um, they always want to ask that question. <laughs> Everyone always wants to ask that question. 
I feel like that question's been asked for the last <laughs> hundred years, and it's gonna keep being asked. Um, and and then you go on these panels, and the entire panel, like you know, it's about another topic, but somebody says, "I think we really need to define queer before we can continue this conversation." And then everyone just talks about their definitions of queer, and we never actually talk about the thing because everyone's so obsessed with defining queer. But I, uh, having said that, my. Um, I always say what Penny Arcade says, which is that uh, queer is not a, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but a queer is not a gay, straight person. A queer is a person um, who was ostracized by society to such a degree as a young person that they could never possibly ostracize anyone else. <laughs> and um, and I, I think that that obviously is the goal. Uh, again, queer is a verb; it's not a noun. So it's like it's how you live your life; it's what you're it's what you're doing in the world, um, not who you are. So, um, are you ostracizing other people, or are you not? And sometimes I'm a queer because I'm not ostracizing other people, and sometimes I am not a queer because I am. And I think that's probably true of everybody. But uh, but some people. Um, uh, try to ostracize less than others. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> Thank you. And I do, I, I hear you on the sometimes people obsessing over defining queer, but I still encounter a lot of really awesome, enlightened people who oh, haven't encountered the term I much think, before. I think and it's so, actually good. I just think that it, what happens is it becomes the conversation, you know, of the, uh, of the event, right. and because nobody agrees, you know, so it's, it's like, I think in the future of panels, they should just be like, okay, five minutes to define queer, and then we're moving on. <laughs> uh, which is essentially what we're doing, so. <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I do agree with you, but just to expand on that, I do like um, queer in in context, like queer as an opposition to the normal, mm. like not just what is ostracized, but um, anything that's not the dominant structure as relates to sexuality and even broader things than that. Uh -huh. um, and um, that's obviously not my definition, but that's, that's what I think of. But can we talk about a little bit what to queer or queering looks like as a verb? Um. Sure. Uh, I, I, I think it probably, uh, it looks like um, the person who is dressed up in a crazy uh, club outfit, you know, wild drag club outfit, walking down the street, and some guy in khakis and a button-down shirt says... Um, hey, where's the party? You know, all drunk and obnoxious. <laughs> and the queer says to the guy, uh, the drag queen says to the guy, Oh, uh, it's down the street. Come on, let's go. That's what queering <laughs> looks like. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's beautiful. That also seems to directly relate to what you said about how in the past you made work that you would be the strangest person in the room and now you make work that everyone's the strangest person in the room. But right. um, <laughs> we can all <laughs> see right. that in ourselves and come along to the party. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, do you have anything? Yeah, my favorite definition of queer comes from um, Eric N. at the uh -huh. Brown Playwriting MFA. And sort of on the website when you're looking into getting the Playwriting MFA, um, under queer, it says, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and Ignatius Loyola took architectural, geographic, and military patterns inward, creating spiritual schema on the basis of observed structures. This is the shift we face. Network is the manifest pattern. 
we must spiritualize it and then make the internal a public and hospitable space. Spirituality is the set of values by which one shares, distributes. Queer can mean a personal and demonstrated identity in contravention of logic or domination. Art must queer the system. Even critiquing the systematic self at core, as with mystical thinking, we are ourselves and shared selves, selves for others at the same time. I don't know what the hell that means, but I really, really like God, it. Eric N. Oh, Eric, God, Eric N. Yeah. Okay, so our next question is quite long and quite awesome and in-depth. Um, a month and a half ago, I started seeing someone with whom I had worked years before. Mm-hmm. He found me online and said he'd always been attracted to me but was too shy to say anything. Mm-hmm. We went out twice and spent most of the time we were together having sex, which was great fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there seemed to be uh, interest on both of our parts to keep seeing each other and potentially for more than just the sex. Though since we only went out twice and spent most of it naked, we hadn't really had a chance to find out what other kind of connections might be there. We had plans to see each other a third time, but he got sick and canceled, then went out of town for work for a couple of weeks and told me he'd get in touch when he got back mid-September. It's the beginning of October. I still haven't heard from him. I feel like this might be a take a hint and let it go situation, but since we had a good time together and left things on a positive note, I'm kind of confused and unsure how to move forward. Except for the first time he asked me out, I've been the initiator on making plans to see each other again, and I'm a little worried about embarrassing myself by pursuing something when I should really just move on. In all caps, but... We have a mutual friend and colleague who's about to move out of town, and there are a couple of farewell events this month I want to go to, but I know the guy I'm waiting to hear from will probably be there. I would like to keep seeing him if he's open to it, whether it ends up being a primarily sexual relationship or something more. I also want to check in and try to figure out where things stand before we end up running into each other at one of these events this month, even especially if he's not interested in seeing each other again. I'm having trouble figuring out the best way to ask for the communication I'm looking for without putting pressure on him or seeming like I'm asking for more than I really want. I also don't know for sure how he's feeling or what's going on in his life right now, so I don't want to get abstractly angry at him for not being in touch. Any advice? (laughs) Put pressure on him. (laughs) Put pressure on him already. Ask for what you want. (laughs) You're never going to get it if you don't ask for it. That's my, uh, that's my advice. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, uh, like it's too much. If somebody has a problem with you saying, Hey, I like you. I want to hang out more with you. Um, uh, you said you were shy, so I'm I'm taking the initiative on this. Um, but uh, if it was a, a take a hint kind of situation, let me know. <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I don't, or or um, if something's going on in your life and and you just can't make a decision right now, good enough, great. I mean, it it, it, it seems a little. Uh, a little silly we get ourselves in these situations and I certainly have a lot where I just um, where we we build it into this thing that communicating is uh, is dramatic instead of just what it is that there are I mean the the stakes are either he's going to end up with this guy or he's not (laughs) that's the stakes or she I just wanted we don't know the we don't know the gender Uh, or Judy that's so funny that I just I just assumed it was two gay guys from the way it was written. <laughs> funny. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just uh, I guess that's my my advice is treat communication 
like what it is communication and 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 uh if the person can't doesn't have the skills to communicate that doesn't mean they're a bad person it just means they don't have the skills to communicate and then you get to decide whether or not you want to hang out with someone who doesn't have the skills to communicate but but that's a whole nother i totally totally agree with you (laughs) offer there's i feel like I feel like, hey, we had a great time, and I would love to talk to you more. Maybe you're busy. Maybe you don't want to talk to me anymore. But like, hey, either way, let me know. Um, that that's that that's what's the the bad outcome here is the status quo being maintained. There's nothing worse mm-hmm. that could happen because you're already not talking. Yeah, you know, I'll relate it to a, a theater thing that happened to me. Um, so I do I do a reading at a at a, um, a theater in town that I would like to work at that has expressed interest that they want me to work there. So I do a, a reading of a play of mine and, um, I, uh, and this is very kind of cagey. They don't like to commit to people and in a way they like to kind of lead people on. They have a reputation in the, in the town for doing that and stuff. So at the end of the thing, I said, I said, Oh, great. Well, uh, um, thank you for doing, thank you for having me and blah, blah, blah. And they didn't say anything about the play and stuff. And then the next day, um, uh, but I had an experience with them before where they didn't say anything about one of my plays. And then I found out a year ago, they thought it was one of the better plays they've ever experienced, you know? So I, so I thought, Oh, I can't take it personally. I'm just gonna, so I just emailed them the next day and I, and I totally took charge. I was so proud of myself. I just said, rather than letting them lead me on for years and years and years, I'm just going to lay it all out and say, look, I would love for you guys to produce this play. If you don't want to produce it, fantastic. Uh, I'll keep using you as development. Um, And, but if you do want to produce it, let me know. And if I don't hear from you, then I'll assume that you don't want to produce it. (laughs) They've moved on, you know, and I haven't heard from them and I'll probably will hear from them in six months and they'll be like, Oh, we'd really like to, but, but I'm done. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I didn't hear from them. So I'm done. They didn't get back to me in the time that I wanted them to get back to me. It's not about them. They're not bad people. They have their own way of working, but I, I took the agency for it and I said, Oh, I, I will just go, Oh, I don't want to be let on for another six months. I want to know now. And so if they can't give me that answer now, then great. I move on to something else, you know? So that's, that's kind of, I don't, I, I think that's how I would like to date if I dated, right now. <laughs> I think, I think that's beautiful in terms of making it in terms of you owning your needs in this situation. Cause I think uh-huh. one thing that resonates with me about what this person wrote in is just this reaching for clarity that may or may not be there. And mm-hmm. I think that even as self-aware as any theater company or lover is, I feel like it's, it's really tricky to, to be totally clear. Maybe this person that, uh, that uh, the the person who wrote in is is dating really honestly doesn't know and and has right. they've been thinking about each other a lot and I, I think it's important to allow for that not need I guess to not need always to put hooks into things but mm-hmm. um, but I also really love what you said because it sounds like like you were with this theater company and like the person who wrote in is in this situation this has if not to put hooks into things, just ha- needs, needs to be thrown a frickin' bone here. And so to give, to, to reach out, absolutely communicate in a non-dramatic way feels great, but to give that out, like I'll assume, no, if I don't hear from you, I think is a great, 
way to go. Um, or just say, rather than, I just fear that maybe this person who would would write, you know, are we dating or are we not dating? And I think that that's a little bit beside the right. point. But just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. just, but just, I would really value hearing back from you about where you are. I would really like to see you again. Yeah, and we're probably going to see each other socially. And and if I don't hear from you, and we end up seeing each other socially, uh, I, I hope that we can give each other a, a hug and and say hi and how we're doing. And then we don't have to treat it like it's dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean that I don't know. That seems reasonable. <laughs> I wouldn't be I able agree. to. I'm not sure I'd be able to do it, but I, I like I to know, dish out the I want to acknowledge that these things always feel harder when you're in them. But I feel like it's a little bit easy to be like, <laughs> like, yeah, just do this. So good luck. I hope that it works out for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I want to be cognizant of time that we should mm-hmm. be done in four minutes. Yep. So quickies um, and then sexiest. Yeah, so uh, our quickies are going to be real quickies, which is um, something that you want to endorse or do a mini rant about. Oh. Uh, Can I go first? Yeah, Yeah, you go first. Okay, for my quickies today, I want to give a shout-out about the concept of compersion, which Diana Adams mentioned last time, but a couple people have asked what that means. Um, So I'm going to read a definition that I found online, which is... Uh, empathetic state of happiness and joy experienced when another experiences happiness and joy. It is sometimes identified with parents' pride in their children's accomplishments or one's own excitement for friends' and others' successes. It is commonly used to describe when a person experiences positive feelings when a lover is enjoying another relationship. And that's the first context that I encountered it in, in the book Opening Up by Tristan Tarmino, um, actually feeling excited about a lover's happiness and joy and with other lovers and that can manifest in feeling turned on when hearing about a partner's other experiences or just genuinely feeling the opposite of jealousy towards that. Mm. That's it's it's pretty much the best feeling. <laughs> I concur. That's quite sweet. It is, what's it called again? Compersion. C O M P E R S I O N. I've never heard of I that. Love that I love that concept. Compersion. Yes. <laughs> That's Who's great. next? You go. Um, uh, 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 I hadn't thought about this. Oops. Um, um, what? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm. This is a mini rant, which I think I might end up doing each time, which is that. <laughs> I'm so, 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 so fucking sick and tired of love triangles in fiction. I'm so oh. over it. I'm so <laughs> Me too. over it. I'm so, oh, I could not be more over it. And every time it happens, I want to yell at the screen or the book, oh my God, just date them both. <laughs> or actually, just have a throuple? in most cases, dump them both and find someone who's nice to you. This is, I'm just, I'm so, so sick of it. Threesome, threesome, yeah, those do equal immediate drama. Love triangles are are not inherently dramatic. Find a new trope, writers, you lazy, lazy humans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, along those lines, I was watching... I was watching some brain-dead television the other day. I won't even say what show it was. This is my mini rant. Vampire Diaries? No. Okay. I won't say what show it is because I don't want to promote it. But uh, the it's my mini rant and my endorsement at the same time. The, the characters were so um, upset that one of them had had an affair. 
and she was just, she was just, she was her husband and they had children and he had an affair and she was just traumatized and he told her and meanwhile they were being held hostage and <laughs> there was all this other stupid stuff happening and, uh, and she's very upset about it and I just thought, oh, just get over it lady, just forgive him already. <laughs> What's the big deal? And so my endorsement is um, that my, my lover, uh, I slept with somebody. We have an open relationship. But I but I slept with someone. And even though you have an open relationship, sometimes you feel a little guilty about it. So I talked to him about it. And, and he said, this was the first time it ever happened. And I said, oh, so I slept with somebody else. And, and he said, oh, well, that's okay. And I said, I don't know. I feel a little weird about it. And he said, Look, Taylor, if I wanted to have a perfect relationship, I would be heterosexual. <laughs> and so and that is a little snarky and mean. But it's but from a, a queer's perspective, you know, uh it is uh it it's so it was so liberating to me and I just um I, to to know that I didn't have to be in a perfect relationship. Uh, regardless of labeling it straight or gay or whatever. But I didn't have to be in a perfect relationship. I could be in a relationship that got messed up, that messed up all the time, and that uh, somehow um, was the relationship wasn't about uh, perfection. So anyways, that's my endorsement, is relationships about imperfection. Hi, this is Jillian from Bonabana Bonabo. Stephanie and I are on the road right now, driving around the country, playing concerts in people's living rooms, where we also facilitate conversations about love and sex and family and relationships and marriage. Marriage being a big topic of conversation for the evening. And we've had the pleasure of talking with people who have been married, have been married and divorced, would like to get married someday, people who know that they would never choose marriage, and everyone has entered into this um, with a wide, really wide range of thinking, more so than I think we often hear um, when we think about the reasons people get married in the United States. And as we've been talking to people about it, we've been asking them to write on note cards answers to the questions, if you are married, why did you choose to be married? And if you are not married, would you like to be? Why or why not? And we've been collecting these cards in all the cities we've gone to, which thus far includes Detroit, Chicago, Missoula, Seattle, Salt Lake City. And we're still, uh, we have yet to go to Santa Fe and Albuquerque, New Orleans, Jackson, Mississippi, Asheville, North Carolina, and then back to New York City. Um, so after all of that is done, we're going to have amassed this really amazing collection of people's thoughts on marriage from all over the country. And this includes drawings from young children and opinions from people between the ages of 6 and 92. So we're really excited to share these in some form at the end of the trip. So this next song that we're going to share with you references marriage, but it's actually inspired by two dear friends of mine who are this beautiful long-term couple who 
shared with me that they make a habit of checking in about how much they love each other, how committed they are to each other, and just how conscious they are that this too is going to end someday, whether one of them passes away first or something in life that's unforeseen comes up. Um, and so I think when they first told me about that, I held it in my heart as pretty heavy and sad. But as I've continued to unpack that, I see that now as such a gorgeous and honest affirmation of their commitment to each other actually to acknowledge the impermanence of everything including their deep love and connection so this next song is inspired by them
Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sex for Smart People. We are thrilled to be part of this conversation with you. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter in the usual ways. Thanks again to Taylor Mack and to Owen O'Malley, our awesome mix engineer. On our next episode, we are excited and honored to have Ajua Teta join us. Uh, Ajua is an educator and advocate in sexual and reproductive health and rights, and specializes in comprehensive sexuality education, justice-based approaches to the intersections of population, health, and the environment, cross-movement collaborations, and gender justice. So... Uh, please be in touch with us via our website, sexforsmartpeople.com, with questions for Ajua about safer sex and communicating about safer sex and anything else that's uh, on your mind these days. Thanks again, and see you next time. Taylor Mac is the sexiest. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Taylor oh, Mac is the sexiest. <laughs> you guys are sweet. I think the sexiest uh, is... Uh, uh, hipster banjo players <laughs> yay I'll give you another you, one Taylor. so it's not to steal from you if you'd like no I think it's funny I think we should leave okay. it as it's true Taylor Max is the sexiest oh, you guys are sweet <laughs> <laughs>